0: Welcome everyone to our BJJ podcast for the month of November. I'm Andrew Duckworth and a warm welcome from your team here at the Bone & Joint Journal. As always, we'd like to start by thanking all of you for your continued comment and support, as well as a big thank you to our many authors and colleagues who've taken part over the past year. We hope that you're continuing to enjoy our podcast and all our noise translation work delivered here from the journal. This is including focus on papers published each month here at the BJJ, as we'll be doing today, as well as our special edition podcast series that has included our insights from the US series, along with our series with our invaluable specialty editors here at the journal. So today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Tim Shepherds, who is a trauma surgeon in the Department of Surgery at Amsterdam UMC and the University of Amsterdam, to discuss their study entitled Functional Outcome of Routine Versus On-Demand Removal of the Syndesmotic Screw, a multi-centre, randomised clinical trial, which has been published in the November edition of the BJJ. Welcome, Tim, and a big thank you for taking the time to join us today.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Andrew. Thank you for the invitation. Really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be able to discuss our uh, latest paper being published in the BGJ. Thank you.
0: No, thank you, Tim. So the aim of your trial, which was the Rodeo trial, which is a, a multi-center randomized trial across uh, 17 centers in Europe, was to investigate whether in surgically managed ankle fractures, if on-demand removal of the syndesmosis screw is non-inferior to routine removal with regards to functional outcome. So Tim, if you could just give us a brief introduction to the paper and some background to what the literature currently says regarding the pros and cons of whether screw removal should be performed or not in these cases.
1: Yes, of course. Thank you. Um, Well, during my training uh, many, many years ago, uh, I was taught that the syndesmotic screw needed routine removal. And at that time, the the preferred uh, moment of removal was even at six weeks. Uh, However, after seeing some infectious complications and a few recurrent diastases, I started looking into this topic, and a survey performed some 10 years ago showed that almost 90% of the surgeons in the Netherlands removed the synosmotic screw routinely, and the same was seen in other papers from around the world. Complication rates have been shown to be quite high, even up to about 9% including uh, surgical site infections, recurrent uh, diastasis, and unnecessary removal of broken screws. Um, A more recent study published also in the Bone and Joint Journal in 2016 collected 11 studies looking at the need for routine removal, of which were nine case series, mainly small retrospective. Uh, No clear justification for routine removal was identified in, this, in these studies. And at this time, we decided to start a prospective randomized controlled trial. There was one already uh, by Boyle, uh, also in 2016, which was somewhat smaller. But we felt that there was uh, a need for a larger randomized controlled trial on the need for routine removal versus on-demand removal. And that's actually how we, how we got started.
0: That's very interesting, Tim. And I think a lot of people have gone through that same process of you know you go through your training and it's, it's it was standard and you just took the screw out and and actually a lot of people were still doing that up until recently. It's interestingly based on limited, shall we say, literature that's out there as you as you've nicely described so far. Do you have a feel? I mean, that was your in the in the Netherlands. It was ninety percent. Has that changed at all? Do you think, or is it different around the world at all? Do you have any feel for that at all?
1: Yeah, We're actually looking into that right now. I'm doing a recurrent survey right. and the data is just coming in. And uh, it looks like that because we gave it much attention and really appreciate that 17 hospitals in the Netherlands participated in this study. And without their help, we wouldn't have been able to do this. Uh, so creating the uh, awareness probably already led to some decline in routine removal. And as, as I said, the literature doesn't really show a great benefit. It does show some complications and it varies in the literature from zero to nine percent. Mm. Uh, on average, I believe it's somewhere around four percent wound complications, mm. which in itself, of course, is also not only a big burden for the patient, but also a cost problem for the healthcare. Um, And with the current healthcare uh, scarcity, I think we should be really concerned with whom we operate on and who we should probably not operate on. So I think that's probably the reason why we are currently already seeing some decline in routine removal. However, there are still uh, fellow surgeons who are very strict uh, in their uh, teaching uh, that the screws need needs removal because of a fear of breakage yeah. uh, and the possible limited uh, range of motion after some time. Yeah. Uh, however, I feel that that is not per se the biggest problem uh, in this uh, topic.
0: No, ab- absolutely. That's very nicely put. And very nicely, just how it, how it is. I think you're right. Think there is this slight frame shift in this, but there is still some people who are very adamant that the screw should still be removed. And, and until there's data like the trial we're going to discuss, I think it's hard to hard to convince them. So if we if we move on to the your trial itself and the study design, it was a, a pragmatic multi-center randomized control trial. It was 17 European centers that we said of which 14 were teaching hospitals and three were academic level one trauma centers. So Tim first off I suppose key, very key to any study of this nature, what were the inclusion inclusion criteria and why?
1: Yes, we decided to include only adult patients mm-hmm. uh, for one, one reason, of course, that it, it's easier to have adult patients in your study for ethical acute synosmotic injuries, so no chronic synosmotic injuries. Mm. Uh, They needed to be treated surgically with uh, a metallic screw. Uh, Absorbable screws are not encountered in the Netherlands anymore, but we decided to add that as well. They should have been operated uh, within two weeks to make sure that it was not a overlooked injury or even bigger uh, increase in delay to make sure that there is a bit of homogeneity in in the treatment of these patients. And we included both the isolated injuries without fracture of the fibula, and fractures, uh, ankle fractures with concomitant uh, synovialtic injuries. Yeah. Uh, the exclusion criteria were polytrauma patients, usually because they have well, much more problems with their rehabilitation, yeah. uh, including including neurological injuries where you can lose the focus of the of the ankle. Um, and that includes as well also the patients with additional injuries at the lower limb where it is a bit difficult to see whether or not the outcome is related to the other injury or yeah. to the ankle fracture with syndesmotic injury. And of course, they needed to be able to fill out the questionnaire and they needed to be able to go through surgery at least once, but also The second time they had to be fit for surgery for a second time to remove the screws if they were in the routine removal group.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, I mean, they're very clear. And I think that they're all very, very logical in terms of uh, the inclusion and exclusion criteria and, and and we'll go on to uh, how many you screened and, and and recruited. But before we do that, sort of in terms of the the pathways they followed other than the screw removal, was that quite prescribed in terms of the treatment and their rehab or were, were you quite pragmatic in, in the rest of their care?
1: Yeah, we, we tended to leave the study as pragmatic as possible and mm. there are Two reasons. One, surgeons don't like to be told uh, what to do. Um, and to make sure that we uh, got as many people on board on the study, we decided to let them do their thing as they do best. And I think that worked out quite well. And the second reason is that so they were free in the way they treated their patients uh, during the primary fracture surgery. The only thing that we said is it had. It has to be a metallic screw, one or two, and it needs to be removed uh, in the routine removal group between eight to 12 weeks. We decided to add that to make sure that the the rate of recurrent diastasis would be as low as possible. Uh, I think the, the current literature shifts away from the six weeks removal. So that's that's actually the only one thing that we said that that we would like to see that it was removed between eight and twelve weeks.
0: Yeah, no, so and that's, like you say, very pragmatic and sort of representative of what we all do day to day. So, in terms of your your primary outcome measure, what did what what was chosen for that? At what time point, and and what did you need in terms of your sample size?
1: Yes, the the primary outcome uh, was the Olorout-Molander score, which is, of course, a a relatively old score, but it's still the most used score out to date. So the primary outcome was Olorout-Molander at 12 months, and this score was chosen to be able to compare the results of this study with most other studies on the same topic, and also to use the data from the study by Boyle, as mentioned before, to calculate the effect size and the uh, the needed power, and because we decided to do a, a non-inferiority study, we estimated that both groups would probably uh, have similar outcome as based on the study by Boyle.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, and and like you say, your your study sort of. Determined a total of uh, 196 would have to be included. That was accounting for follow-up and various other things, but it was 152 required to prove non-inferiority, which we can obviously come on to in a minute. In terms of what about secondary outcome measures, though, and and what other things did you look at?
1: Yeah, So the Molendo score at three and six months was Mm -hmm. one of the secondary outcome scores. Uh, The other one is the American Orthopedic Foot and Ankle Society score, which is debated in the literature, we know, but it is the second most used outcome score uh, in ankle fractures so again for uh, comparative purposes we thought it would be interesting to add this score as well in addition range of motion at the ankle and uh, complications during the follow-up which included also the complications of the surgery yeah. uh, but also complications of the primary reduction yeah. um, and all these secondary outcome scores were uh, taken at 3, 6 and 12 months as well
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely. And so in terms of, before we move on to the results, just very briefly, what what type of analysis did you perform? Was it intention to treat or or did you do anything else as well as that?
1: We did both intention to treat and per protocol. So we tested the outcome for non-inferiority. We uh, hypothesized that the on-demand removal would be similar as routine removal and the primary outcome score was analyzed both uh, intention to treat where patients were analyzed according to the group they were initially initially randomized in and per protocol, uh, so they were analyzed as well in the group they were actually treated in, including the crossovers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, if we move on to the results, then um, there were four hundred nine patients assessed for eligibility. Uh, one hundred ninety-seven were eventually randomised, with ninety-three allocated to routine removal and one hundred and four were allocated to on-demand removal. And and just under a quarter of those actually had the screw removed within within the first year. The baseline demographic data was very similar in both treatment lines, as you'd expect. Participants had a, a mean age of forty-seven years, and and just under sixty percent uh, were male. But before we move on to the the sort of key findings can you tell us about any crossovers between the groups tim and and also what the follow-up rates were like
1: so in both groups uh, we had five people crossing over and that was quite similar as in the study by boyle as well where they saw two crossovers in the uh, routine removal and five in uh, which wanted a on-demand removal. The follow-up was available for three quarters of the patient, leaving 73 patients in the routine removal and 79 people in the on-demand removal group. Mm -hmm. Complications of fixation, including those like malreduction, revision, infection, and other minor wound complications like wound dehiscence were 22% in the routine removal at 15% in the on-demand removal.
0: Right. And so in terms of the primary and secondary outcomes, there were no differences found on either analysis. Is that right?
1: Yes, exactly. So regarding the oluwet Melendo score at 12 months, we saw a score of 85 points out of 100 in the routine removal group and 80 for the on-demand removal group. And the non-inferiority test showed that both, the, both for the intention to treat any per-protocol analysis on-demand removal was not inferior to routine removal.
0: Absolutely. And there was no other differences at the other time points either, were there?
1: No, exactly. And also for the uh, secondary outcome, which showed that the Odorwood-Melander score was comparable Mm. in both groups at three and six months. Yes. American Orthopedic Foot and Ankle Society also didn't show any difference And at 12 months, the AOFAS was 87 for routine removal and 85 for on-demand removal. Uh, Range of motion and pain scores were comparable. uh, And there were significantly more complications in the routine removal, 16% uh, regarding implant removal in the routine removal group and 1.3 in the on-demand re- group, removal group yeah so the 16 in the routine removal group included five wound dehiscence two superficial infections and two deep infections mm, yeah. so uh, those are quite uh, big numbers
0: absolutely and, and significant complications aren't they as well I, indeed absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah absolutely and and so finally before we move on to sort of the implications of the paper, you also did a, a sort of an analysis to look at the prediction of function outcome, which was your, your primary outcome, the 12-month o And what did you sort of find in, when you performed regression analysis to look at the factors that were associated with this?
1: Yes, well, let's skip the univariate uh, analysis mm. because we found a numerous factors associated with outcome. Uh, but the multivariate analysis identified the following factors as predicting worse outcome which were female gender uh, longer duration of the primary procedure mm-hmm. uh, complications of the initial fracture treatment and of course the complications of the implant removal mm-hmm. uh, all of these showed a negative impact on the old rolland score even at 12 months
0: even at 12 months actually that that's what was interesting to me it's still maintaining it even if those complications happened early which often they do
1: a- absolutely a- absolutely several studies in the literature show that wound complications, especially deep wound complications, uh, may lead to lower outcome even after several years after initial treatment of foot and ankle injuries.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So if we move on to... The, the implications of the study, Tim, you know, the strengths of it are without question in terms of the trauma design, the methodology used, the numbers included. And it is cl- and I think it's clearly shown that on-demand removal of the syndrome screw is not inferior to routine removal with regards to functional outcome, pain, range of motion, uh, all those time points over that one year. And obviously, as you've highlighted very nicely, there were significantly more complications with routine removal and in particular wound problems, and only a, just under a quarter of patients in the on-demand group had removal within the first year. So Tim, what do you, what do you feel are the real key take-home clinical messages of the study, I suppose con- considering and, in- and caveating with any potential limitations of the data you want to highlight?
1: Yeah, well, the key take-home message, uh, message in my opinion, is that even though cinesmotic screw removal might be considered minor surgery, it is associated with a higher than expected complication rate in this prospective randomized trial. And in addition, there appears to be no benefit from removing the screw when comparing routine removal versus on-demand removal. Mm -hmm. And again, only a relatively low percentage actually needs screw removal. Yeah. Uh, The main limitation is because we let the surgeons uh, uh, do their own thing, follow up, uh, following their local protocols. uh, We do not have post-operative CT scans, for example, to look look at any malreductions, which might have influenced outcome. Um, However, it is likely that this may have occurred in both groups equally. There was a one-fifth loss of follow-up. Mm -hmm. Um, As most patients resumed work and daily living between three and six months, they were less motivated to visit the clinic again at 12 months. However, even though the loss of follow-up was higher than the 10% we expected, we still reached the power of over 80%. The, The conclusions are still valid.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I would agree with you about, I think your comment about the CT scan, I would agree. I would defend the paper. I think it would have been, it would have been one of these things that would be nice to have there, but I don't think it, I think you're right. I think the, the occurrence of that would probably be equal between the groups and actually you would expect the outcome measures otherwise to probably pick up whatever they were detecting. No, I agree. And in terms of what we didn't touch upon in the results, but you obviously did a subgroup analysis, which you had powered for before looking at patients who were over 60 years of age and under 60 years of age. And, you know, what did you find with that? And what do you feel the implications are for for, for that?
1: Looking at the age group below 60 and above 60, perhaps needs a little bit of explanation. The reason we chose for this subgroup analysis was to see whether the usually more active younger population would be bothered more by a retained screw. Mm. Uh, It is, of of course, conceivable that younger patients being more likely to be involved in sporting activities uh, might be hampered by an intact screw at some point in time uh, versus the assumption that a slightly mobile ankle would be less problematic in an elderly population. Um, However, the omas uh, in the group below the age of 60 was 85 versus 85 mm-hmm. so no absolutely no difference there uh, and in the group above the age of 60 the outcome score was 78 in the routine removal versus 80% 80 in the on demand removal mm-hmm. and both uh, were non inferior so mm-hmm. i think that adding this subgroup analysis clearly shows that the fear that younger patients might be bothered more by a syndesmotic screw that is retained uh, is very likely uh, unfounded.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and as, you know, I mean, it would be, in terms of numbers, it'd be interesting, but actually, in the old old age group, surely your risk of complications of routine removal going up. You're giving an older person That's an crazy. extra operation, and all these things, and they're more prone to infection. So, no, I, I completely agree. It's a, I think it's a really interesting finding of the paper. I suppose to sort of finish off. Then you know we've alluded to it already, and and, and sort of alluded to it all the way through. Tim, is you know what are your thoughts on the pen- potential cost implications of this, not only for the patients but also for healthcare services, like you say, in our really difficult times that we're going through at the moment?
1: Yeah, great question, Andrew. Uh, We're currently working out the cost-effectiveness analysis, which is uh, quite a big task. One can, of course, imagine that if only one quarter of the patients actually do need uh, removal of the syndesmotic screw, that this implies a significant reduction in cost. Absolutely. Um, So I I can say that probably the paper coming out on cost-effectiveness is going to show a reduction in costs Uh, in addition i think it improves the counseling of our patients that after synosmotic screw placement uh, counseling our patients that routine removal is not necessary and they can wait out and see what their outcome is and if they're even bothered by the screw after one year that might even drop the number of needed removal even further yeah Um, In addition, about 20% of the patients in this study, because of the pragmatic design, received a four-cortical screw. And it might be interesting to look into that as well in the future, seeing that three-cortical screws loosen or break more often than a four-cortical screw. It might be worthwhile to advocate three-cortical screws to lower the need for implant removal even further.
0: Yeah, I know, absolutely, Tim. And I think, like you, you said there, I, I think the, the the big thing for me is it's it, it, our ability to now counsel the patients and say there's good evidence now that there is there's there's really no benefit to this. And like you say, if you may be having a bit of discomfort in those first three to six months, but if we wait this out it may all settle down and be fine. I think that it just, it adds such valuable data. So Tim, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us and 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 it was great to talk to you and, and congratulations on a really excellent trial that has without doubt added to the literature considerably in the area. It was great to have you with us today, Tim. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you very much, Andrew. And again, thank you for the invitation.
0: Thank you, Tim. And to our listeners, we do hope you've enjoyed joining us and we encourage you to share your thoughts and comments through social media and, and alike. Feel t- free to tweet or post about anything we've discussed here today. And thanks uh, again for joining us, everyone. Take care.